0: Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. We're a show, and uh, we talk about dads. Yes. Show is called Why Are Dads?
1: Why are dads?
0: And uh, we're so glad that you're here to talk about one of our favorite dads. Yes. That is just kind of. A person who happens to be in this movie and not the centerpiece of it, as we realized we were talking
1: about <laughs> I knew it. that going in, but, like, who
0: cares? Who is our dad here today? Who wh- Who's the dad? What is the movie?
1: Well, I'm going to tell you the dad, and if you can't gain the movie from that, then you, you have to stop and go watch the movie right now. We are talking about Mel anywhere in L.A. takes 20 minutes. Horowitz.
0: We sure are.
1: And the film is Clueless. Amy Heckerling's Masterpiece.
0: Oh my god The
1: masterpiece of 90s cinema, arguably
0: This movie that I, as as we explain uh, in the show That I think that I've seen more than any other movie
1: Do you realize that Clueless and Heat are set in LA in the same year? That's wonderful
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're happening at the same time (laughs) We talked with uh, Christopher Thomas today. Uh, I was so psyched to have Christopher on board because we talked about a movie that is very important to a lot of uh, millennials and Gen Xers. Mm-hmm. With a, uh, I don't know if Christopher t- technically is a Zoomer, mm. but certainly much closer to Zoom territory than I am.
1: <laughs> he might be a mill Zoomer, zooming around Milltown.
0: where did clueless live in your world previous to this conversation
1: there's a a group of movies that i just know i can turn on and have a nice time a lot of them are movies that came to me when i was a kid or a teenager but really like in childhood or entering teenagerhood that suggested that adolescence would be like this cool fun place where i could have autonomy so like clueless legally blonde is about Being a baby lawyer, I guess, and having autonomy there. 10 Things I Hate About You, which we just did an episode on. But Clueless is just, you know, it's just always been like a security blanket for me. It's always been like a safe place.
0: Mm, It's in the upper echelon of the teen movie.
1: It's the champagne of teen movies. It's just bubbly and effervescent and... It is beautifully constructed to just sort of like smoothly happen to you. It kind of nods <laughs> toward this world being unrealistic, but it's like, but who cares, right? And you're like, yeah, honestly, who does?
0: Yeah, there's like a magical realism to Clueless. Yes, Although it's never explicitly magical, but it is certainly implicitly magical the whole time.
1: Well, it opens with Cher in this narration being like, I know what you're going to say. Is this like an oxema commercial or what? You know, and she's like, but actually I have like a super normal life for a teenage girl. But she is nodding toward this being like in a commercial type of reality, Mm -hmm. which is very accurate. If you've seen those Rebecca Gayhart ads.
0: Yes, absolutely. No, and it feels a little bit too like the degree of self-referentialism that happens at the end of Gerwig's Little Women. Yes. At the end of Gerwig's Little Women, there's like a little frame looking in the frame uh, situation with how things play out at the end with regard to publishing the book, etc. And it's kind of happening here where I feel like I don't know the history of the making of Clueless for a movie I've seen so many times, Mm -hmm. but I imagine that Heckerling had an opportunity to make a movie. There were specific expectations on how the movie looked and presented. And right up front, she referred to the fact that The movie maybe was looking and presenting in a way that wouldn't she wouldn't have inherently done, but she was going to make it great anyway.
1: When they cast the original Friday the Thirteenth, Sean Cunningham, the director, is quoted as saying that they were looking for like kids you would see in a Pepsi ad, just like good look. Which is why Kevin Bacon was cast in that movie. It's like his first movie. (laughs) someday scholars will tell future generations who we were by talking about our ads, and there is this specific. Aesthetic of like the 80s, 90s, like 70s, 80s, 90s, ads aimed at a youth market. So like Pepsi, Mountain Dew, Noxima, depictions of teens being so happy and consuming so much. <laughs> this movie take truly takes place in Noxima reality. But Jane Austen's Emma takes place in a world where everyone is really witty all the goddamn time. And people bought that, so.
0: (laughs) Before we embark onto Clueless, what's a thing that you noticed this time that maybe you hadn't picked up before?
1: So we talk about this in the episode, and Christopher and I both say that we had never noticed that there's a moment when Josh is like, I should go to that party where Cher is going with an apparent date. Mm. And Mel's like, okay. And then you can see him kind of momentarily surveying the situation in this, like, I see what's happening, and I accept it, and I wish it well. Like, go forth, former stepson, and romance my daughter, yeah. of whom I have just shown I am protective. I've just chewed out someone trying to appropriate the legacy of my clearly old friend, Sammy Davis. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I'm not a hard ass through and through.
1: Yeah, and we just never noticed that moment before. Have you ever noticed that moment?
0: No. No, 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 no. (laughs) I don't notice important things most of the time. I'm along for the emotional ride.
1: Right. It's like it's a plot thing. It's like we're sewing this up for the people who give a shit. But like, it's just so interesting that something can be in a film you see repeatedly and you literally don't even notice it for 20 years or something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's such, it's, it's beautiful too. It's so sweet. His little smile, his register is Mm -hmm. so sweet and outlying from how we see him in the rest of the movie. And it balances him out in a fascinating way without ever Mm -hmm. incorporating it into the plot. Without going, and also, he gives money to charity.
1: This is our positive shouty dad figure.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. This is
1: who we point to when we show how to be, like, a, a lovely shouty guy.
0: It is. absolutely Maybe if you don't shout as much if you are a shouter, but uh, if you're going to aspire to be a shouty guy, this is the one.
1: If you have to shout, then shout generally. You know, shout because it's the volume at which you talk not because you feel the people around you were earning it because that's not fair.
0: This is good advice. Let's go spend some time with Amy Eckerling and the gang.
1: Let's do it.
2: Earth to share, Come in share. Isn't my house classic? The columns date all the way back to 1972.
0: You can't park. You can't switch lanes. You can't make right hand turns. You've damaged private property and you almost killed someone.
2: Daddy's a litigator. Those are the scariest kinds of lawyers. And Daddy is so good, he gets $500 an hour to fight with people. But he fights with me for free because I'm his daughter. Gosh. You divorce wives, not children. I could really use some sort of an herbal refreshment.
0: Oh, well, we do lunch in ten minutes. We don't have any tea, but we have Coke and stuff. No, shit, you guys got Coke here? Yeah. Yeah, this is America. And so, if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. And in conclusion, may I please remind you that it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. Hey there, a couple other quick things right before we start. Uh, first, Why dads is made possible with support by Knack Factory, which is a commercial and creative content video production company based in Portland, Maine, that uh does work all throughout these here United States. If you need to get your message out by way of video, get in touch with the folks at Knack Factory. And by you, thank you so so much to you, our Patreon supporters, patreon.com/slash wiredads. Many of you are there supporting us. Uh with some dollars. We really appreciate it. We're trying to reward it with bonus content as often as possible. You know, two, three times a month, there's something new coming out there. Uh, If you're able to support, thank you so much. If you are not, we are just so happy to have you here. Oh, and one other quick note. We tried this last week. It went really well. We uh, put a a Spotify playlist to accompany uh, the episode. And last week, we did one based on The Wrestler. This week, we did one based on Clueless. So uh, you can find it in the episode notes. It is something you want to spend some time with our ideas of a uh, clueless inspired music. All right, let's go spend some time with Cher and the gang. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. We are talking about, I think, the movie I've seen the most in my life. Mm. Today, we're blessed with the presence of Christopher Thomas. Hi. Hi. Christopher, I forced this movie upon you i didn't give you an option and said that we were watching Clu- but but it's
2: clueless <laughs> like of course i'll to talk about clueless Every, who wouldn't you know it was it was a gift it was a forced <laughs> gift but still a gift
0: do you have a history with clueless i have history of
2: being being clueless <laughs> but i definitely was in love with alicia silverstone So we have a history, the Mm. two of us. She doesn't know it, but I rewatched it the other day just so I could have like the fresh. I was like, I'm watching this through a fatherhood lens now. This makes
1: me think we should also
2: on this show talk about Dick, which
1: is like the other great Dan Hedaya as daddy of the 90s.
0: Mm. Sarah, talk about your experience with this movie and Dan Hedaya.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Well, Something that Dick does that I love is it has representation for girls who, like, inexplicably had crushes on people like Nixon. And I'm like, I'm the kind of teenage girl who had crushes on weird, unfriendly middle-aged men. And then Clueless, through Christian, has representation of the kinds of teenagers who are like, I'm going to act like Sammy Davis Jr., Mm -hmm. which, you know, Dan Hedaya I think very accurately, clocks, he probably knew the rat packets at, at one
0: time. Yeah. And you know he did because he refers to him as Sammy Davis. <laughs>
1: That's true.
0: <laughs> He's on intimate terms with Sammy Davis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We know Dan Hidea from Blood Simple.
1: Oh, we do. He was Marty. Yes. Yeah.
0: And then he played kind of that character in Cheers, right? Uh, Rhea Perlman's husband.
1: Oh, yeah. As Mr. Tortelli. As Mr. Tortelli. <gasps> and then he got a short-lived spinoff called The Tortellis. <laughs> then people were like, no, that's not the correct application for Dan Hidea. We're still... There's some actors who, like, science takes a long time to figure out how to best apply them, and then mm-hmm. one day it clicks. Yeah. And
0: it's clueless and dick, apparently. <laughs> it is, yeah. When I was a kid, I would go and see my mom in Malden, Massachusetts, and this would just be one of the movies that was playing on, tele- on like HBO all the time. Mm-hmm. And I did not have HBO in Maine, so I got to go to Massachusetts and see my mom, and she worked all day, and so I just watched television all day. And I watched clueless nonstop, and I realized why in Mm -hmm. retrospect is I'm of the age where there was one time when I was not on the internet. And Mm -hmm. then there was a time when I was on the internet. And so when clueless came out, it was like my only window. Into what other teenagers, even though it's insane, it was my only window into what other teenagers might be like mm-hmm. and like what other subcultures could look like and different ways that people talk. And like it was intelligent in a way that I had not encountered before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like a different. Universe. It seems to like at once be a teen movie while not pandering at all to teenagers. Like this movie doesn't care how teenagers actually are like yeah. 10 things I hate about you. Yeah.
1: I was thinking that it's, this is like the way that I bet a bunch of like 25 year old, like junior, you know, script consultants or whatever are living in LA. Cause they're like, you know, I don't have a ton of agency. Like I have to pander to a bunch of yeah. weird adults who are senior to me, but I can drive and I can go to all the cool parties and we're all having sex with each other or about to, or like having relationships and flirtations. Like it's just, I think it's like a loving portrait of like being young in LA in the nineties and having some degree of glamor and agency.
0: Yeah. Christopher, what what's your take as a person who's coming into clueless cold?
2: I'm thinking about when I saw it for the first time. I think I I was little. Yeah, it was one of those movies that, like, my older cousins always watched. And it was one of the few that I could watch with them because it wasn't too inappropriate. But I remember thinking it was really cool because they all (laughs) wanted to watch it. Mm. And I was struck by how I think precocious it was. You know, these teenagers, I was like, wow, they have, they have their own lives. She drives around and she has this closet. The <laughs> closet where, like, the, the rotating, mm-hmm. that to me, that lived rent-free in my head for, like, a year. I mean, I was like, dad, can I get one of these, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think it just seemed to me, like, the coolest way to be a kid. Like, I was like, if I'm going to be a teenager, I want to be this kind of teenager.
0: How did that play out? What was the reality versus your aspiration? Oh, <laughs> Well,
2: you know, Alex, the
1: 90s ended and that was one of the issues at
0: play. <laughs> well, I'm curious in particular as another person who lived their teenage in Maine and had to reconcile this being a throughway in some way.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, right. I mean, what's interesting is like, I remember I watched it then and had, I think also while it was simultaneously like so precocious as a kid, I still, it still seemed hyper realistic to me. And I would actually argue it's not horribly unrealistic. Right. But it, I didn't see any of like the saturation and like the kind of the sticky writing that we all love when I was little. I was like, right, this is a, a documentary. <laughs> so then I rewatched it. I remember in middle school and I was like, I remember this differently. <laughs> mm. I remember, you know, an epic saga and the love story and the, you know, the woes and the lows of, you know, high school life. And I think I'm sure many people have had that experience with, you know, movies you watch when you're little. But I guess moving into teenagehood, I was no longer thinking this is the kind of teenage I want to be. I was like, wouldn't it be nice if, I, if those teenagers existed
0: at all? Yeah. Sarah, do you want to set us up and tell us what this movie is? What is the plot of this movie?
1: Clueless is an adaptation of Emma, which came out around the same time that another adaptation of Emma called Emma, starring Gwyneth Paltrow, came out. <laughs> right. And both of them did very well. I mean, it's interesting that we just talked about 10 Things I Hate About You as a teen movie, which is also an adaptation of classic right. literature. Like, I feel like this is like an underexploited area of intellectual property. So I guess, I don't know, yeah, think yeah. about that. But so in that vein, Clueless is a story about a girl named Cher Horowitz, who's beautiful and popular and rich and pretty happy and in the way of Emma before her, you know, nothing in her life has ever really vexed her. I think is the opening of that book. It's about her starting off as someone who likes to matchmake and meddle in other people's lives and kind of try and take care of people by micromanaging them a little bit and problem solving, having her schemes come back to kind of bite her in the ass and realizing that despite deeming other people clueless, (laughs) it is she who is clueless. (laughs) (laughs) gasp
0: it seems bold from the get go in retrospect to have a movie about someone who already has it all
1: that's a good point Mm. but then it can start off as like look at this lovely wish fulfillment life And then it can be like, here's the story of, you know, emotionally maturing a little bit.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. I just haven't seen something like that since the Great Recession. Yeah. Yeah. Since then, they're like, let's not start from 100 percent because that is not a thing that's going to bring people in the door.
1: Yeah, Everyone's got a ponytail and is a way. Yeah. Now
0: I do like this idea that it's like an internal progression, right? It's not like an accumulative progression. It's like Mm -hmm. a person who's like, oh, maybe Travis Birkenstock is a worthwhile boyfriend for this woman that I'm trying to groom into whatever Brittany Murphy eventually becomes.
1: Uh, yeah, speaking of by the way, we just talked about The Wrestler and we've done more emotionally gutting than not emotionally gutting movies in the past couple months and so I was thinking about how we we're going to talk about Clueless today and I was mm-hmm. like Boy, the wrestler was so tough, and I'm just so happy that we're, like, moving into this, like, beautiful, light, frothy story, and away from, you (laughs) know, this narrative of someone who just slowly destroyed their body for their art, and oh, no. Uh,
0: Mm. Oh, no. Every time she's on screen, I'm like, ugh, honey.
1: I know. Yeah. You're like, "Oh, she's so good. She's so good in this."
0: She's so good. Even when she when she she joyfully d- delivers the question, "Oh shit, you guys get coke here?" <laughs> like she doesn't know she's in a Los Angeles high school. She's like your
1: Bambi, you know? Like she, there's something about her that's like this animated fawn.
2: Yeah. It's also interesting what you said about post-recession, you know, comedy even. I feel like there's this disconnect from reality. Like it's almost that, that you can have in Clueless. It's almost a cartoon, you know what I mean? There's so much hyperrealism now. So it's nice. It's nice to suspend that. It's like a lobotomy mm-hmm. in a good way. <laughs> not that there is such a thing. It's a very sincere movie. Yeah, right. And so I think Murphy's character is a good example of... I feel like I knew someone like her. Mm. Everyone knew someone mm-hmm. who was kind of endearingly, you know, mousy. She, she looked not as polished and, like, also fancy as these, like, beautiful women did. You know, she was like a high schooler with... A bad hair dye job, mm-hmm. you know. We've all been there.
1: And Stacey Dash, by the way, I guess like this, up. she was 27 when this movie came out. She had like a three-year-old at the time. Holy shit! Yeah, putting Brittany Murphy, an actual teen, next to her really highlights, in a way that
2: I think works, just like the actual <laughs> teenness of her in this. No, totally. She felt like the perfect kind of neutralizer because Cher and Dion were so high energy and she was a nice, like she was the perfect addition there.
0: There are so many like funny scenes that are obviously funny to see and like retrospect of the culture of today. Like, like to think about the fact that like we're all doing this on a phone in one way or Mm. another, like we take pictures of things all the time because your comedy is right now related a lot to like video related stuff. Mm. And just like looking at how weird and forced and strange it was for a bunch of teenagers to get together for a photo shoot. Yeah, I know.
2: (laughs) I, I was struck by watching them get to that party in the valley. It was like, oh, my God, this is a nightmare. Word of mouth, here's the address. You Like, you called ahead, got the address from someone on a landline. And then <laughs> Donald Faison, he's like, he's directing her with, with a map. Right, the map in the in the dark. This is insane. I mean, I, as a teenager, could never have. Like, that's a different experience.
1: And they're paging each other, which is like very high technology at the time. And then and now it's like hilarious. <laughs> I feel like beepers could come back. Yeah. Like I feel like people are ready to embrace beepers again, honestly.
0: You know, now they're basically like reselling what are effectively just word processors with nothing else on them. So people can write in an uninterrupted way.
1: Right. Which is like what people had 40 years ago. So it's cyclical beepers. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sarah okay let's talk about dads a little bit this movie gets recommended often by people who I think like the dad performance stands out to them in a big way in particular like a dad that is intense in a lot of ways but also has a soft spot for a man who was his stepson once for a brief period of time yes (laughs) can you talk a bit about him and that whole setup
1: yeah I mean it's interesting people do recommend we talk about this movie quite a lot and I'm like you know Dads aren't very important to this movie. Like when people <laughs> recommend movies, they tend to be something that's like field of dreams mm-hmm. where you're like, yeah, that is, yes. But this one, I feel like it has to be just love for this character, this one dad in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I feel like one of the really great dad archetypes that is pretty wonderful in real life is someone who's like very bristly or crusty or whatever in most contexts, but is like very sweet sweet to his child. Those tend to be genuinely good people and they're funny characters. The way he's introduced sums it up. He's like daddy's the scariest kind of lawyer, but he argues with me for free because I'm his daughter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) totally. It's so good. And it seems like the thing that stands out for a lot of people is that like you divorce the person, not the, not the child, which is a really like an interesting line that he says about why Paul Rudd is around all the time, which is itself fascinating. I mean, it seems like his, his relationship with his mom's partners is not great. And that this dad is there Mm -hmm. for them. And the one thing that stood out for me, This time around that I had not noticed before is when the dad starts to realize that Josh is taking an interest in Mm -hmm. Cher, um, he like sees it happen. And there's such a small little smile on his face. Yes. And it's, oh, it's so sweet. What was your, what was your take on that, Christopher?
2: Of all the moments in this movie, the dad moments that I really wanted to bring up, I was like, that is the moment because I didn't (laughs) notice it before. Neither did I. I was like, was that always in there? Also, what I loved about that moment was that he'd, he'd seemed so not obtuse in any way, but kind of like not concerned with, with the nuances of, of daily life. Like he was kind of, I have X, Y, Z today, but he really picked up on like the subtle kind of, or not so subtle, whatever, but he picked up Mm -hmm. on Josh's clear, like, well, you know, is she okay at the party? Should I go, should I, you know, he heard that little like shift in his voice and, I would you you wouldn't have expected him to. You would have expected him to say, "What are you mumbling about? Give me that paper," you know. But he didn't. He like he right. like, heard it. He picked up on it. Was like, "Go to the party, kid. Go get my go bang go bang my daughter," you know. <laughs> but <laughs> he didn't say that.
0: <laughs> Who maybe was once your stepsister when she was eleven years old?
2: Keeping it in the family. <laughs> <laughs> it briefly
0: it's of all (laughs) of the sister brother lust relationships we've had on this show it's the lightest fare
2: oh for sure yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) easiest to stomach
2: (laughs) i think by far
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's no tenenbaum situation i'll say
1: it's not christopher what you're saying is making me realize that i feel like people maybe feel affection for this movie partly because it's like a world with, like, a benevolent and not overly involved dad and who's not, like, making a good show of being a good dad, but when he has to show up, he does. And then he goes back to work because he's very busy. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have that much to do, and he does it. And then he also is like, my daughter's very smart. She's running her life, and she'll come to me if she needs help, you know, and I know how to delegate. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) Obviously. He and and Josh's mom are no longer together. But Mm. Josh received at one point a phone call. His mom called the house when he and Cher were like hanging out one day. And I remember watching that and being like, oh, he really Mm. doesn't want to talk to his mom. I think also looking back, the smaller moments like that, I kind of forgot about Mm -hmm. because they were between these like high energy, bubbly, bubblegum, colorful, you know. But he was he was telling her, you know, his new stepdad is is awful. He was like, my new stepdad thinks criticizing me is how he shows affection or some, you know, some shit like that. Mm -hmm. And it was clear that his mom doesn't treat him well. And I was like, that makes me also think that rather than this kind of, or maybe in addition to this kind of like paternal thing that Mal felt for him, it was also kind of a, this kid's in a bad situation Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he needs someone who can give him affection, which isn't something, again, as we've, we're discussing, you would assume Mm -hmm. just based on the decibel of his speech alone. (laughs) (laughs) But really I was like, oh, his mom sucks. That's why he's here so much. His mom sucks. She's mean.
1: Yeah, that's such yeah. a lovely spin that like it's there in the it's there in the text. It's right there. Like Cher reads, Josh is just hanging out, you know, kind of to annoy her, but really. Yeah, he's trying to avoid his horrible stepdad.
0: You know, Josh at some point says to Cher that she's probably trying to compensate for her lack of a mother by mothering Brittany Murphy's character. And like, mm-hmm. I wonder how much of that is the case for Mel. Hmm. Or maybe just through the death of Cher's mom, right? And not having a, a parent around that like he seems extra sensitive to the idea that like kids need par- kids need a loving parent in a way that maybe makes him step in in the absence of Josh's dad at home
2: Mm -hmm. that's also funny because i feel like josh does that to share a little bit Mm -hmm. he gets a little well sweetheart don't be home you'd be home by you know he gets a little paternal himself Mm -hmm. yes
0: unpacking the dynamic of what we think their relationship turns out to be will be fun
2: yeah i think they're still together to this
1: day. (laughs) And neither of them have aged very much at all. Paul Rudd has not There you go. He looks exactly the same.
0: I saw Silverstone show up in The Death of a Sacred Deer. She's in it for like a beautiful scene. Mm -hmm. And when it registered with me who she was, I was like, oh my god, she looks amazing. Does
1: she look like she's going home to Ant-Man?
0: Yeah, she does look like she's going home to Ant-Man.
1: I thought you were gonna say you saw her at the market. That's what I thought too. (laughs) That's the kind of thing that happens in Maine. You're like, oh, yeah, she has a house, you know, down the road, down the street.
0: wouldn't be surprised. Oh, my God. Yeah. Speaking of the things that you just don't notice because you exactly you said it so well, Christopher, you internalize these bigger, louder teen mm-hmm. scenes. Mm-hmm. I knew there was some Emma inspired shenanigans with regard to Cher setting up Wallace Shawn with, uh, you know, her one teacher with the other. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time I really, really paid attention to that and paid attention to that setup, which I love. And I also love, you know, I think Gossip Girl is like a spiritual successor to Clueless in a lot of ways. Yeah. And Wallace Shawn is in both of them.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. Wait, what is he doing in Gossip Girl?
0: He plays Blair's dad.
1: Oh! Oh, wait, he's Blair's dad? He's one of those that guy character actors. You're like, that guy? Yes. Inconceivable that he's Blair's dad.
0: <laughs> well and yet bad. it
1: makes total sense. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Whoever set up the trend of putting Wallace Sean in movies like this.
1: <laughs> I love them for it. I was trying to figure out how old he was. And I was like, well, my dinner with Andre came out. You know, that movie was scratched onto cave walls and.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's just ancient. He's like Walter Matthau or like, you know, Betty White.
0: What things stuck out this watch that didn't necessarily stick out before either through the dad context or that tickled you in fun new ways?
1: Well, something I want to point out that I don't think I really noticed so much before is that Cher is probably high when she gets mugged. And that just really sucks. Yeah. And also when she has to fight off Elton and get thrown into a liquor store parking lot. I mean, it's like the coolest looking parking lot around, but still. Yeah, Elton. That was fucked up. Yeah, fuck Elton. And also I like how Elton is like the one well-dressed boy character in this movie, and yet he's the one who's a sex pest. Hmm. And mm-hmm. that kind of shows share growing by learning that well-dressed boys with fancy dads can be gross mm. and not respect your boundaries. And that Travis Birkenstock, despite being a burnout, is a lovely, peaceable guy. I also, okay, so the other day I had I was watching Beverly Hills 90210 with my friend because yeah. um, there is an all 90210 channel on Pluto TV. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I love Pluto TV.
1: I have like so many streaming services. I'm paying like $1 trillion per month for them. And then I just realized that all I want to do is watch Pluto TV because yes. they have a Dark Shadows channel and an MST3K channel. This is not an ad for Pluto TV, by the way.
0: That's what I watch when I go to physical gyms, when that used to happen oh, Pluto TV. Back in the day.
1: <laughs> but I was trying to describe, like, who are the different characters on 90210? And I was like, that's Brenda. And she moved here from Minnesota. And there's Donna. And she's played by Tori Spelling. And then I was like, Donna... It, it was dear to me when I was a teenager because she is an older virgin and you don't get a lot of thrown in there like for their own reasons, older virgin characters, But sure, absolutely not. She's 16 in this movie. But I love that there's a part where she's like, yes, I'm a virgin. You know how picky I am about my shoes and they just go on my feet. <laughs> <laughs> and as someone who also like a late starter for many reasons, but one was that I just was like, I'm not feeling it. I haven't felt like I want to move on any of this yet. And I was just like, well, I'm not going to do anything I don't feel like doing. So, Hmm. all right. (laughs) It's going to keep wearing the same shoes. (laughs) There's something very charming to me about a character who's like, I want to have sex with. And by the way, she says she doesn't say guy. She says person. Oh, I know. She's like. I just want to have sex with someone who I really
2: want to have sex with. And, like, that is my right as a teen. Yeah. So me watching this... Back in the day, mm-hmm. I was so in love with her. Obviously, as a kid, and uh, obviously, and that moment, I remember being like, "Well, she didn't say man." <laughs> like, I I came out as you know trans like a, a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I was like, "Okay, I guess I'm lesbian." I get, I, I suppose. So you're like, so there's a chance, <laughs> right? So I was like, oh, she did say person, didn't she? It also, I think, soured the ending of the movie a tiny bit for me. My love for her, mm-hmm. I was very very jealous of, of Paul Rudd for more more than one reason. But he, I mean, he won me over at the movie, obviously won me over.
0: Although he does. Did you both notice that Paul Rudd's like pretty much first line is he touches her stomach and he says, you really yeah. filled out. And I was like, Whoa. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I was like, if you say that to any woman, you'll get punched in the face. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. I was like, do you uh, like hello, fatty. That's the vibe of that line. Like, <laughs> what do you what do you. Oh, Josh romantic well this is the best
1: that the world of boys has to offer it's the best car on a shady used car lot it's still gonna have like it might be a great looking car but there's still like a squirrel living in the radiator
0: oh yeah yeah i mean thinking thinking about that in the context of elton which which who you'd mentioned earlier i i respect in a way that I also don't recall and seeing a lot of teen movies from this time. This like this movie does a lot of fascinating things that I feel like like 10 things I hate about you. It doesn't fit into a cookie cutter teen mold. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different reasons for that. But one being exactly as you said, Sarah, like Eldon is the most well put together. Like he's the probably the son of a music producer. Yeah. He seems like that. I love that. He's the most well put together and he's the person who we see be a predator in a time when we weren't referring to men who looked like that as predators. It was like mm-hmm. de- literally decades until we would really have that conversation in popular culture.
1: It was black children and very beefy aliens who would hunt you through the jungle.
0: Yeah. Yes, ex- exactly. And like we see this person being the predator in the in the movie which I really, really enjoyed and I'd <laughs> love to talk and I, Christopher I didn't realize this until I was watching the movie, the resemblance between you and Christian. I would say structurally by way of hair and presentation
1: I would say by way of, like, the sort of James Dean-ness. Yeah. But also that Christian looks... Don't you think that more than anyone, he looks... Oh, my God. What's his name? He looks like Singing in the Rain guy. Is that Gene, Gene Kelly? Gene Kelly. Thank you. We're both
2: dads now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ah. <laughs> you and me. That fucker, he was cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Yeah, someone, um, someone told me that. It's also funny because... I think I'm, I'm, you know, in the middle of my transition, right? Mm-hmm. I never got that, obviously, before. It's such a compliment to hear that I look like this, like, you know, swap, you know. Thank you. Thank you. I'll say that. The character of Christian, while I also loved that Elton was the villain, I also mm-hmm. loved that, like, you know, Christian was when—I remember when Murray was driving with the girls, and he's telling them, like— that guy is gay. What are you talking about?
0: He's a friend of Dorothy, as we used to say.
2: I said that. <laughs> I mean, my friends and I still say that to each other. That is one of the best lines I have ever. I mean, it's so fucking <laughs> it's so fucking funny. And also, he was kind of what I loved about it was like Murray this, you know, this teen whatever. He's not mocking. Christian no. for being gay. He's mocking no. the girls for not picking up on it. He doesn't give a shit. He's like, well, who cares? The guy's a friend of Dorothy, you idiots. Have you not figured this out yet? Well, and I love the scene where she, where they're at
1: the party and she's like, isn't it cute how he's like brushing off all the other girls? He, like He does like brush off another girl because he's busy talking to a hot guy bartender. Yeah. That was so funny. <laughs> yeah. And I love how that shows it to you in like teen girl vision. Yeah. Your eye is drawn toward him rejecting
2: the girl and then it's like and here's a close-up just for you. <laughs> it, it was funny because looking back I was like yeah there's something about queer kids being often really mature. Mm. Not that I'm, like, particularly mature. I'm kind of an eight-year-old in a lot of ways. Not necessarily, like, an emotional maturity, whatever. But there's you spend a lot of time with adults. Mm -hmm. I was kind of a a 40-year-old man sometimes, I think, when I was little. I'd be like, well, kids these days, you know. Mm -hmm. And he is very rat pack, as Cher's father so hilariously dubs him. Looking back, I was like, that is so gay. To be, like, so elevated in that way. Mm -hmm. And it's not like he's that much more mature. But he has this kind of air that's, like, so queer kid who didn't experience the kind of mass hysteria that like cis-had teens do
1: Mm. do you think it's like that he's being like i'm just gonna do my own culture and it's that it's 1949 for me
2: yeah what i remember growing up i was very much a queer kid the non-queer kids had this fashion sense and all of those things Mm -hmm. are based off of one another and if you don't hang out with the, with those kids you know like all of the little straight boys I'm sure were dressing to attract the women which is not really Christian's MO it, which means Chris Christian dresses better than anyone obviously because
1: paradoxically right. you like dress beautifully to show that you're not interested
2: right <laughs> yeah that's actually yeah that's
0: interesting it, I mean that speaks to exactly a thing Cher says right where she's like not to turn on my generation but like <laughs> boys dress poorly I mean I'm a 37 year old wearing a punk rock t-shirt right now and a Boston Red Sox hat so I'm one of the people she's talking about you
1: know what it is a clean punk rock t-shirt that like fits appropriately
0: thank you so she's saying that and i think that i that's an irony i don't think i picked up until now that it's hilarious that she was going after someone who did not fit her perfect description of what all of the guys who are like Mm -hmm. basically like guys are schlubs they dress like schlubs but the two people who are well-dressed one tried to attack me and the other Mm -hmm. one is not interested in women
1: (laughs) so obviously just focus on the gay one because like she is I mean, she is noticing the fact that, like, of the field of guys we've seen in this movie, he is the best. Like, he's the safest, the least annoying, the one she can have talk the most about because they do both care a lot about taste Mm -hmm. and design and stuff like that. So she's, like, noticing the, like, male person with whom maybe she has the best connection.
0: Yeah. I think Christian's the first queer character I saw in a popular culture portrayal. Mm. This came out before Ellen came out. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: This was post birdcage, or was it? Maybe no, th- maybe it was pre birdcage.
0: Mm. Birdcage was I think 94, and this was 95. Okay. But this is what I saw first. Mm. That's the other thing is like when the bird when the birdcage came out, it was like this is a movie that has like all these themes in it. And they were like conversations and stuff. But when Clueless came out, no one was like, there's a gay character. Like it was <laughs> it was just in the movie. <laughs> and to that point, that's kind of significant though, because the only other context aside from the birdcage. That I remember being a kid in Maine, whose only access to pop culture was cable. Mm-hmm. Queer people died before this. Yeah, before this, like the biggest public phenomenon I remember being on on television was Freddie Mercury's death mm-hmm. and all of the kind of like memorial stuff that mm-hmm. happened around that. Conversations that happened. Queer people died. They died mm-hmm. of diseases, etc., and then this- or
1: of just getting murdered. And, and then mm-hmm. the person who murdered them not going to prison for very long.
0: Yeah. Right. Although I would even argue that wasn't really presenting in popular culture in a big way. We're looking at that in retrospect.
1: Alex. Alex. Cruising.
0: (laughs) (laughs) 1980s own cruising. 1980.
1: (laughs) But yes, that's that's an anomaly, though. Yeah, I agree.
0: And we get Christian who's just there and fucking cooler than everybody
1: else. Just a ragingly healthy, beautifully dressed, confident gay teenage boy who also like confidently maybe not confidently but who's very, also very sure and clear about what he wants and is like, no, thank you, like, coolest, prettiest girl in the school who is coming on to me who, if I were closeted or on the fence about being closeted or felt, like, amassing social capital and being, like, sheltered by her popularity, I might, you know, that he's able to just be like, no, thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. No, thanks. I have an ulcer.
1: Oh, the, yeah, that was great. Yeah, I have an ulcer. He's the most... He really is, like, one of the most mature, maybe the most mature kid in this movie.
2: Yeah. I will say The Birdcage is one of my all-time favorite movies. Mm. You just mentioned it, and I'm like, oh, my God, I have to say out loud. What do you feel like you have to express? Okay, so the two movies that I saw before I started secretly watching the L word on my mom's laptop when she'd gone to bed, (laughs) Mm -hmm. the two movies that I saw that were queer were That and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh, Mm. yes. The latter was, was how I first learned about trans people. Mm. Mm. I was like, whoa, she is, oh, uh, hmm, mm. But the birdcage, <laughs> I was like, people are gay. People are really gay. People can be, like, so fucking gay. Like mm.
0: Hank Azaria in the birdcage gay.
2: Oh, my God. Right. I didn't know any people. I probably knew a handful of, of queer people and, and nothing Like this, you know, I'd I'd heard, I'd heard tell of drag and all the, you know, I was a little white kid. Like I did, I had, you know, in fucking Maine, what the, actually at Mm. the time I was in Vermont, but same, same thing. I knew a couple like lesbian moms who I would see at the farmer's market and who were really sweet. But I I was obviously was not going to learn of camp from anything around me. And so I think that that's just what the birdcage was to me. Mm. And what Priscilla, those two movies feel very much to me like the start of something for me internally. And then Clueless was nice because on the opposite end, I was like, oh, gay people aren't always like that. Mm. Sometimes they are (laughs) kind (laughs) of (laughs) cool. They're just chilling. And this was also post, not post, but like moving out of the AIDS epidemic, and I thought it was cool that, you know, they were not going to talk about AIDS and Clueless. They were like, this is a kid.
1: Yeah, you're right. And these are kids who clearly know how to be safe. Yeah. Because I think something that happens in movies, maybe especially in a post-Clueless world, is like adults make a movie and they're like, all these kids are having this cold, depressing sex. Mm-hmm. Kids are terrible. And it's like, no, no. Adults are terrible.
2: Adults are the ones who have the most depressing sex of anyone. Thank you. I was going to say, that was like on my list for today because I was like, one of the things I love most about this movie is that unlike all of those teen movies where everyone's like fucking and constantly, I'm like, what high school did you go to? And fucking like angrily too. Right. And like hi. I'm like, you know, okay, maybe sometimes.
1: Dead-eyed and resentful, you know, and it's adults being like, it's a commentary on how the teens are dead-eyed and resentful, and it's like, whatever, you clean your house before
2: you criticize someone else's. Yeah. Like, most of us were watching YouTube on Jenna Marbles, like, on our laptops alone. (laughs) (laughs) That's also something that you see with, like, queer characters, like, look at these slutty, slutty people, you know? Slutty,
1: slutty sluts. I hate them so much, I gotta make a hundred movies about them.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and look at how crazy they are now, slutty and crazy, you know, and I love that the kids were generally just not slutty and within that you know christian was i mean he was like you know courtship level not a slut mm-hmm. for gay men particularly you don't
0: see that that much mm-hmm. yeah that does not help portrayal. usually it's like we're a little worried about how aggressive tommy's being like cruising
1: yeah yes yeah cruise we gotta do cruising at some point for
0: sure can we figure out why this movie's so mean to amber
1: they just need a random antagonist and it's also interesting to me that like Amber is a paradox, because Mm -hmm. in the opening little montage, she is with the group, and they're all friends, Uh and then they hate her in the actual movie, and then in the Clueless TV show... They didn't want to make Ty a recurring character for whatever reason. They were like, Amber's back in the game. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they talk about why, but.
0: Yeah, maybe they go into some origin story.
1: They just decided they needed someone to say mean things to, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if she serves a, I guess it's like it's useful to be like, ah, Elton's with Amber. But like, I don't know. Is she the redhead? Yeah, redheads are Witches. I'm like, which, which, who the hell are you? Who's Amber? And then I'm like, oh. Amber is the one with actually the Pippi Longstocking situation.
0: She's the person everyone's mean to for no reason. Like, there's like, Amber did nothing originally. She seems a little arrogant, maybe. But not like the rest of them aren't.
1: She is constantly kind of narking on Cher for not preparing for her debate presentations, to be fair. (laughs) I just remember red hair and like, they were like, fuck you.
0: Yeah, Amber, red hair, fuck you.
1: You know what? We don't know what Amber did or what they think she did, but it's just it's a complicated world that we're dropped into. We can't understand everything about it.
0: So true. On a typical day, flipping through TikTok, I see 30 to 40 queer people talking about their experience in a day.
1: (laughs) And they just live inside of your phone. You're like, I am holding a square of light where all the queer people live.
0: Totally. And they talk about experience and just, I had Christian. Yeah. If someone was uninterested in watching Clueless and you were trying to sell them on why this is a movie they should check out, what would you, what would you tell them?
2: I would say, if you ever want to speak to me again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good.
2: No, I wouldn't open with a threat. That, I might end with one. But I think I would start by saying it's not as dumb as you would assume it is based on the cover. Based on the fact that you're dumb. Based on the fact that you are a total idiot. <laughs> yeah, that's what, I would say something like that. And I would also say the lines are f- really funny. I would tell them, friend of Dorothy's, I'd be like, hey, listen, listen, you're going to hear some zingers. They're going to come at you.
0: <laughs> have you ever wondered what a Boston ska band playing at a prom would look like? We've got it.
2: Right, right. They have it, they have it all. So I... <laughs>
1: As I was watching it this time, I was like, I love how Mel, like, he has a big case. They've got, like, all these associates at the house, like, working around the clock just to kind of set up, you know, Josh having to, in a final move of uh, chivalry, protect her from the barbed tongue of an angry junior lawyer. Oh, yeah. I would say that in more movies like A Time to Kill, like straightforward legal thrillers, I would love it if we at least had the implication That if we just, like, tracked a little bit down the hall, we would see the main lawyer's beautiful teenage daughter trying to figure out her love life and, like, donating caviar to a canned food drive and stuff like that. Yeah. And if that's a selling point to someone, then that's great because it feels like it is just a weird fan fiction of, like, the kinds of legal thriller that the 90s were really all about. Yeah. But, yeah, I would I would also try and sell it, or I would echo what Christopher's saying by being like, yes, this is a very well-written movie. Like, it is fun to consume. Like, verbally, you enjoy the writing of it for the sake of the writing. Mm-hmm. And also, it's one of those, like, could-be-taught-in-screenwriting school movies. Mm. Yeah. If you're like, I don't want to have fun. I want to watch it for a utilitarian purpose then, like, it's a good screenwriting model movie, I think. And it's also a good model for how to adapt a historical text in a very successful, across-the-board way.
0: I love this concept in which... In your universe, Clueless is a three minute legal thriller, <laughs> a three minutes of legal thriller. And then but it zooms way, way out.
1: Yes. Think about what's happening behind the scenes of other legal thrillers, maybe.
0: Yeah. And so Amy, Amy Heckerling, who made this, she made Fast Times at Ridgemont High.
1: Yeah. yeah. Which is also, like, one of the only movies where a character has an abortion. Like, not just a teen character, just any character.
0: And they're just, like, an abortion happened. Like, they're not, like, yeah. there's no moralistic... Yeah. Like,
1: sometimes you gotta get an abortion.
0: Maybe mm-hmm. Hackerling told some great stories about teenagers, or helped facilitate some great stories about teenagers being told.
2: Yeah. I mean, I no longer speak for the teens, but I feel like she might be a friend of the teens. Yeah. I'm still in uh, in school, but I was so inspired by that idea mm-hmm. Mm. These people are queer, but like that's not really mm-hmm. that impo- you know, that important mm. This this whole pilot that I was writing for um a class this year and like became a passion project was just about I obviously wanted wanna see more trans characters on TV and like trans people on TV. And I think if I had seen a seen a guy like me as a mm. kid, I went you know, I saw Chaz Chaz Bond on the cover of People magazine at the grocery
0: store. That was about it. You're like, you know, Chaz, me and Chaz, we have so much in common. <laughs>
2: right. Right. I was like, Oh yeah, that makes so much sense the thing I loved about clueless was that in a a lot of ways and the whole like story of this thing I wrote was like your classic like three friends in New York sitcom and they just they get they lock themselves out of their apartment that's the whole first episode and then I was like okay they're and they're all trans but no one cares Mm -hmm. and I realized like I learned that I learned that from from movies like this Mm. I learned what that felt like to watch and it felt really good
1: do you think that teen movies are a a place where that kind of advance in culture can happen more easily because they're deemed less important.
2: Yes. So I think it's interesting because now you also have, like, the Love Simons, which which are the exact opposite. They are—and are, uh, that's a that's a very well-done movie. They are um, the teen-slash-sort-of-family. That one ropes the adults in, too, with Jennifer Garner tossed in there, all that stuff, with this really kind of queer-centric narrative that's, that's very palatable to everybody. And that has its own merit. But I also think, yeah, teen movies, I think, get to kind of— and things that aren't heavy, realistic dramas or kind of soap opera-esque and are geared towards younger people, generally speaking— Get to kind of escape some of the more at least initially intense scrutiny mm. there's no like harrowing debut at con where they have to kind of be s- sliced to ribbons mm. by critics It's like you can kind of just toss the thing up on hulu. I think that there's so much power in that, and in my own life i mean it's it's a very much a part of my like work, but I think if I weren't interested in, in doing comedy and writing and all of this stuff like In my personal life, it's actually not that important. Mm -hmm. I think that that should be more obvious to people. Mm. And that's also a privilege. I have the privilege of saying that. But long story short, yes, I completely agree with you. I think on the one hand, it's good to have the opposite thing, but we really need more of, of
1: that this reminds me of an episode of Degrassi I watched in probably 2003 or four where like Marco can't give blood. Mm -hmm. Um, And the episode turns into his family being like, you're gay, but it's not an important thing about you. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, it's a very important thing about me. And they kind of made it about that. And it was like, have we addressed how Marco still can't give blood? <laughs> I like that it was about that as an issue because also there was like around the time I first gave blood, and I was reading the instructions, and I was like, "What the hell? they still he still couldn't give blood. Yeah, and it feels like that kind of episode. it's like that conversation almost draws focus away from just sort of like, I don't know, like mm-hmm. i I appreciate De Grassi for highlighting that injustice. God knows that like I didn't encounter it anywhere else. Yeah, but it was like it's the most important thing about my identity. No, it's of minimal importance, a straw argument. And it's like, Marco can't stand for everyone. It's like, he has to be like, it's the most important thing about me, and therefore I should be able to give blood. And it's like, even if you had really like very little investment in being gay, you should still be able to give blood, I mm-hmm. guess is my point. I don't know. Maybe I'm losing the thread
2: here. No, I agree with you. It's also like, it's something that that is maybe giving blood is less of an everyday thing but it's something right. that like you don't i don't think you know if you didn't know that that rule existed and you were like gay you happened to be gay and stroll into the the you know blood bank and they're mm. like no you it might suddenly become an obstacle and like i have experiences like that too like where you kind of for, you forget you're doing whatever and then you're like oh yeah fuck you know mm. so i think when it, naturally arising issues that aren't like you know that whole stereotype of like, for example, the lesbian period piece where like one of them is married to a man, the other is dying of tuberculosis or something, mm-hmm. and like they have sex like twice, and then like one of them drowns herself or something. You know, like mm-hmm. it's super tragic, and everything is you know a, a huge plot point, and like that's a good good example of something where you can still kind of work in the whole gay thing, the whole gay thing, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, <Okay. laughs> but not you know. No one needs to like die or be dying, mm. you know, or have sex with a married person, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: The question is a great question about where to work all this stuff in, because I learned, I mean, I learned everything from popular media. Yeah. Like my parents, God love them, did not. I mean, my mom a little bit before my parents split certainly were, was a little more proactive about that stuff. But yeah. like, I learned about stuff from like very special episodes I learned about stuff from from Doogie Hauser I learned stuff mm-hmm. about like from from like te- programming that was directed towards families slash children I learned about conversations about like HIV and AIDS from life goes on from like just TV mm. shows that we're on talking about these things mm.
1: oh that's right God I do you remember when Carol Seaver's boyfriend Sandy died in a drunk driving accident
0: fucking died in an accident (laughs) I just rewatched the scenes from that for some reason have
2: you seen that Christopher no no but I was like emphatically going along like oh
0: no oh yeah it's dark as hell (laughs) we know that Mel is the dad in Clueless Mm -hmm. who would we say is the daddy this is there's so many options oh
1: yeah yes this is a world of pretty competent people all around what is he what do you mean my daddy
0: (laughs) So where your head goes is how this question was originally formulated. Yes. But it's become most certainly a subjective lens into the the head of the person who says who it is. And we've learned that daddy means many different things to many different people.
1: So like, I'm just going to tell you some of the people I think of. I Travis, for one, because he just has like such a lovely demeanor. Like, I love his tardy acceptance speech. (laughs) The way he says, without which I might never be tardy. (laughs) He is a cutie and a half. Like, he just is roaming around this weird high school world in a good mood, Mm -hmm. which I appreciate. And then he's, like, the right guy for Ty. And he just, you know, he's one of the acceptable faces of masculinity in this film. Also, Miss Geist, Mm. perhaps, because I really love that, like, this is a movie where two teenagers see, like, two lonely middle-aged teachers and are like, we just need to gently push them together to get them to fall in love and be happy. And then that totally works. Mm. <laughs> These are two people who are ready to let love into their lives, which is a very brave thing to do. But I get the sense that Miss Geist has to be, like, readier going in. She's ready. She's ready for love. So, yes, Miss Geist.
0: Christopher, what's, what's your take? <sighs> well, I'm glad you went first. I, Travis is a great
2: answer because he's so, hmm. he's, you know, he's like kind of like a Phil Dunphy.
0: I don't know what Phil Dunphy is.
2: M-
1: modern family. Okay. I was thinking of, uh, I was like the only, of Jack Dunphy who was Truman Capote's Ah, uh, Yes. No, not Jack Dunphy. Partner. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. Modern family was my, when you guys were talking about family ties, I was like, this reminds me of how I talk about modern, yeah. Mm. Um, but, so, yeah, he was kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. Um, obviously, Mel. I just love the character. But the daddy, you know, I think Murray. Mm. Because he has the like 13 year old humor you know, there's something about the kind of dad experience. That's very like, you're also secretly like a little kid inside, you know, you make stupid mm-hmm. jokes and you know, I, I feel like the best part of my life will be making really annoying jokes. Like if I have children making them suffer through that, not that I want to make my children <laughs> suffer, but, but in that tad way, right. You sign a contract and he really has that down and he also um the map thing yeah right like I was like okay that's such a dad thing um and that there's this funny moment with him at the beginning where he comes up and ah woman he's like hey woman to to Dion and then <laughs> he, they slip in that little he's like which I say you know which is actually reclamatory as I say it not in a misogynistic way but in a way that implies <laughs> you know uh, a, a cultural kind of you know and I remember being like that is also a dad thing to whip out Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see him and uh, and Dion having a little Brady Bunch of their own. (laughs) I also like he really comes
1: through in the clutch when they accidentally get on the freeway, which I also love that this movie depicts as like the scariest thing that could possibly happen to you. Which, Until I had been driving for like a year in Oregon, it absolutely was.
0: To me that's the scene that sticks out to me the most from that time is it's like oh no they are yeah. in a bad they are in a bad place i i agree with the murray one in a in a big way for the reasons we touched on earlier where when the stuff comes up with christian like murray is just like this is just you guys are the silly people in this situation mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm surprised that it was played played like that i liked murray a lot more in this viewing than I have in the past. Yeah, mm. me too. I think he's like a lot more composed than I remember him being. Oh, yeah. I mean, like a seemingly obvious answer is Christian. Like Christian is just wild that he yeah. exists in this movie, has that car, listens to Billie Holiday, mm-hmm. drinks cappuccino at a time when that was not a, a re- very regular thing.
1: Yeah. He's a very sophisticated kid. And share yeah.
0: the lesson that share learns, which is all of the weird artifice she's put into living her life in order to maintain various levels of status, et cetera, are still like important to her for sure. But at the end of the day, like good hearted people are good hearted people. And Travis is a cool guy, (laughs) despite how she classified him earlier. I love that. She, she comes to that place. She's such a great, she's such a great person.
1: Yeah. I love that. She's a character who, you know, has it all at the start and, and, Who, in pretty much any other depiction, would be a total joke Mm -hmm. and someone who we're supposed to hate and who was made fun of in the worst way. And they're like, no, like she's to some degree aware of how lucky she is, to some degree clueless. That's the title (laughs) of the movie. And also, just like kind of actually in like a, you know, Dana Plato's character in different strokes Mm -hmm. kind of way is just like a Beverly Hills princess with a good heart. I guess love it when teen girls are given a little dignity, yeah, oh, yeah, me too. I also like this is a movie where the dad is the daddy. like I you know, I am unambiguously yeah. thirsty for, for Dan Hidea, like I'm just gonna oh, let's just let's just take it out of the realm of subtext. Oh, I also just, okay, I googled him and I have the images results pulled up, and one of them is
0: from a page called Jew or Not Jew <laughs> Dan Hidea. <Hedaya. laughs> I I hope he I he wins right. He is he is Jew. It says Q score ten so, <laughs> out of ten. Yeah, verdict Q. Yep.
1: <laughs>
2: and now a word from our sponsor. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> All
0: right, everybody, you did it. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Wired Dads. Thank you to Christopher Thomas for being our wonderful, illustrious guest. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick, who produces the show, is our music director, is our all-around moral supporter and wonderful person. You can find Carolyn's music at carolynkendrick.com. Dot com. you can find her on social media you can find her in the places where people are on the internet thank you so much for listening you can find us on social media at wiredads on instagram uh, @wiredads uh, where else are we on twitter we're there uh, i am on tiktok trying to make that happen <laughs> i don't know if it's happening but it's maybe you can find me there you can find me and sarah on twitter as well and we want to thank fresh Lash for the beats thanks for uh, making all our episodes so beatly we very much appreciate all that you do fresh flesh all right you've heard enough thank you so much for listening to why our dads we look forward to talking with you next time